Hi everyone, uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Dave here for your last Legends of the Spire of 2022. Uh, it's been another great year for the podcast, uh, really. I've had up to, I think, coming up to about 25 uh, interviews of the former players and managers uh, of Chesterfield. Uh, highlights for me, it was great having Danny Wilson on. Uh, Tony Bryan was great to speak to. I absolutely love speaking to Luke Beckett. We've also had some uh, some great, uh, quite current former players as well, people like George Carline and James Montgomery. So I hope you you've enjoyed the selection that I've put out this year and hopefully next year in 2023 we can get a little bit closer to that century. Uh, also this year Linda's Sandwich Shop has come out, issues one and two are out there, uh, the new fanzine about the club. Uh, you can buy it online at Etsy or you can also buy it at Tallberg Records in the town centre so do grab yourself a copy if you haven't already. There'll be more of those coming out next year with issues number three due out at the start of March. But as your last podcast of 2022, uh, I'm delighted to finish off the year with Sam Klukas. Uh, now, Sam, obviously a hugely popular player from his year at the club uh, under Paul Cook. Uh, he was part of the uh, playoff team in League One uh, that got into that semi-final in the playoffs against Preston after a great season. Uh, he had a, an amazing uh, march through the leagues, really, starting off uh, Hereford and then Mansfield and then us and then Hull uh, going from National League to Premier League in five seasons and scoring in each successive league along the way so uh, great to have a chat with him about his whole career. Uh, he's just getting over a back operation so uh, I'm really thankful for him for taking time out of what is undoubtedly an uncomfortable time and we hope to see him on the pitch again soon. And you never know maybe back in, in a Chesterfield shirt sometime we can only hope. Uh, thanks again for everyone that's watched or listened to a podcast this year or bought a fanzine or anything like that. Honestly, I really enjoy doing it, um, but the support uh, of everyone and the kind words and encouragement and stuff like that really do uh, mean an awful lot. Uh, hopefully, my hope is that this becomes a bit of an archive of interviews that in 20, 30, 40 years time people can look back on and have that kind of information and memory of uh, times at the club and matches and things like that so um, hopefully it's useful as time goes by uh, and I hope you have a great uh, rest of 2022 and start of 2023 so I'll be back next year with more podcasts more fanzines who with yet I have no idea uh, it's a surprise for me as it is for you uh, hopefully we'll get to Jack Lester one day as well you never know but here we are with the last episode of Legends of the Spire of the Year with Sam Klukas. Enjoy. You're actually my Christmas episode, so this is going out on Christmas week. So I is, that, got... is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I should have got you to wear a Christmas jumper or something, shouldn't I? <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> so you're born in Lincoln, that right? Yeah. It's a nice place to grow up in Lincoln. You've got that amazing fudge shop halfway up the hill. Yeah, some lovely places up and around the cathedral and around the castle area. Mm. It's not ideal to be walking when you've got a bad back like I have at the minute, though. It's, it's very hilly, but oh, yeah, no, that's it's, true. It's great. It's a great place to great place to grow up. Yeah, and you actually started as a youth player at Leicester. Is that right? So how did, yeah. how how young were you when you started there? Um, I was there. I signed there when I was ten. Um, 10 years old and then I played there until I was 16 uh, so six years I spent there traveling three times a week my dad used to take me 
Um, it wasn't until like the last year where they actually did the roads and got like a dual carriageway from Lincoln to Leicester. So it cut the time down. So <laughs> like the first five years, I actually had to lie on my, uh, when I first signed there and said that I had to put my granddad's address down because at the time you can only travel up to an hour, uh-huh. like under 16s. I think it's under, I don't know if the rule still stands, but under 16s could only travel an hour. And uh, so from my actual address to the training ground was like an hour 15. So I actually have to put my uh, granddad's address down that I was living there and uh, and we had to travel there. So it worked out just under an hour at the time. So, but yeah, we traveled there three times a week and had some great, great times playing there. So your whole career is based on a lie. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> or yeah. Truth, maybe. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, ju- just my living, my, where I was living basically. Yeah. Great. And you were there until you were what, 16? Is that right? I was there until 16. Yeah. And then uh, got released. Well, just just before you get told if you're getting a scholarship, so all the boys were obviously queuing up to go in and see the manager, see if you're getting a scholarship, and then that was when I got told that I wasn't getting a scholarship, uh, not for footballing reasons, just because I was too small. <laughs> obviously, your Wikipedia is true. It says that on your Wikipedia that it says you were too small. Does it? Yeah, it was true. Yeah, I, um, I've got a lot. It's, it's a long story, but I was obviously there for six years, and I was a very late developer. Um, even at under 16 level, I haven't fully developed or anything yet. Um, I actually remember I asked the club got at Leicester, they got um, some guys in from university, I think. They actually did blood tests and did loads of tests on me and stuff to see if I had like a growing disorder or anything like that. And they can actually predict your height. And it came back probably six weeks later and they were saying, oh, he's going to be six foot two. And, the, and at the time I was like five foot four, skinny, like not not had a growth spurt, not, not developed at all. And the coach was like, no chance. Like, look at the size of him now. All the other lads are developed. They're all becoming like young men and he's still a little boy. Um, and then it so happens to be that I'm six foot two now. So it actually worked out. But at the time of the scholarship, they were saying, so I used to play a striker back then. And I was top, I was top goal scorer that season. And they were saying, listen, you're a good player. We want, we want to keep you technically. You're brilliant and that. But we think that you won't be able to handle the step up into into the next level where obviously all the all the lads are going to be bigger and stuff. So we're going to release you. So that was the start of a, another journey. Wow. So how do you cope with that mentally? When Because it's nothing of your fault, nothing you can do, and it's not that you've not got the talent. Like That must be quite hard to take as like a 16-year-old. Yeah, that's probably the one that's not really spoke about it, but it's probably one of the hardest moments of my career, to be honest with you, because from the age of 10 to 16, I was, I was flying at Leicester like... I'd, I'd, sometimes I'd be training like the, the next level up, I'd be playing, all the coaches would be saying how good I am and stuff like that, you know, and uh, in, in between that as well, I actually went to Man City, Man City wanted to uh, sign me, so I actually went to play a trial game for Man City and they took me to a first team game and I played against Everton, I think it was, um, and they wanted to sign me, but that obviously that rule within an hour, I'd have to, they wanted to move my family and every, everybody over to Manchester so I was just like, no, I, I enjoy it at Leicester. I think I've got a better chance of playing first-team football at Leicester. That was all that, all that was in my head at that age because obviously I was doing really well. Every year I was playing playing well, being told I was one of the best players and stuff. So in my head, I was like 90% sure I was going to get a scholarship. When I like, looked to players at the same age as me, I was thinking I've got a good chance of getting a scholarship here. Um, and then to get told that and then... it. <laughs> They, they actually gave us tickets for a Leicester game. So they told us on a Saturday morning whether he's getting a scholarship or not. And they gave us tickets to the Leicester game. So I had to go to the Leicester. I actually went to the Leicester game where obviously like 90% of the other lads have been told to get a scholarship. 
And they were like, how'd you get on? And I was like, didn't get anything. And they were like, what? So I had to sit there while they were all like celebrating. My mum, dad and my granddad came with me on that day. And it wasn't until I got home at night, to be honest with you, and I was in my bedroom on my own. That's when everything come out, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. That was when I was crying and stuff because you literally think that's over. I, I did well at school and stuff, so I had decent grades, but obviously all I expected to do was be a footballer and that's, that's all I got told I was going to be and I was good enough to be that. And like I say, even being told in that meeting, it's not because if I'd have been told that I wasn't good enough at football, to be honest with you, I would have probably like knocked it on the head trying there. I'd have probably been like, yeah, you know what? They're probably right. Probably not good enough. Um, I'll I'll pursue something else. I'll still play football locally or whatever, but I'll pursue something else as a career. But when they tell you it's not because of your football ability, it's because your size, it's like say it's hard to deal with because it's out of my hands. <laughs> There's literally nothing I can do. It's just on. A, it's just about waiting. And it happened to be that like a year after I got released was when I had the massive growth spurt and I went from like five foot four, five foot six to six foot one, six foot two. It's it, Honestly, it was crazy. Like I've got stretch marks on my legs and stuff because I just grew so quick. And it, I think it might've just been that I just stopped doing a lot of sport and it just all kicked in in that, yeah, yeah. that year. So that was really hard to deal with because after that as well, you go to like exit trials and stuff as well, where all the teams come. And I got asked to go to so many clubs because I'd done well at the exit trials and I went there and basically they all they all said the same. Like there's so many, so many stories I could tell you. There's one in particular I went to MK Dons on trial uh, on trial. And they actually had a trial game. It was the lads that were on trial against their under 23s team. And I was only like 16 at the time. And we had one game to play and impress. And I scored a hat trick. So I played up front. It was actually a perfect hat trick, left foot, right foot header. And you go into a room after and they say, right, the foreign following lads are going to come back for a two-week trial after this that we think are good enough. And I didn't get read out. So my dad went to like one of the coaches, obviously wasn't very happy. Like, what more do you want him to do? He scored a hat-trick against you on the 23s and he said, no, he's, he's too small. So I just had loads. I had, literally had loads of cases like that. Doncaster, they said I was too small. Barnsley, they rang me up to go there on trial and gave me three minutes. I came on in like the 87th minute. <laughs> to play um, and then basically after that I was just like you know what it's every club saying the same I'm best off going to college playing football locally and just seeing what happens from there so and that's basically what happened after that Wow because it's it's easy I suppose in that situation your life can go two ways can't it you can you easily go off the rails if you've uh, you know it's, it's I suppose it's important you have a good family behind you and stuff like that because you could easily go one of two ways can't you when you get such a big thing yeah, hundred And I've, I've seen so many players go the other way as well. But like I say, you, as long as you've got the right family around you and you, you're strong mentally, you, half of this game, half of being a footballer is being mentally strong nowadays with social media and everyone, everyone's got an opinion on you. Mm-hmm. You have to grow up quickly. And a lot of players don't reach their full potential because of the mental side of the game, not because of the technical or physical side. I've played with players in the conference, in League Two, that are technically better than players I've played with in the premiership but they haven't got lucky they haven't got the men- mental capacity to play at that level and loads of stuff like that but yeah because I got told that I was good enough and I like not being big-headed I was always confident in in the way I, I could play I knew every time I played a game I was one of the better players so mm. deep down in me I knew I was good enough and I knew I could play at that level I, I looked at the players that were playing around me at certain levels and I thought I know I'm better than them that I can I can play at that level it's just my height that was so it was, it was definitely frustrating, but it was something that I just put to the back of my mind and thought, I'll go to college, 
Um, I did sports uh, science development and coaching there, looking at being maybe a PE teacher, but I played for the college team. I played locally for Lincoln, I played for Lincolnshire and stuff like that. So it was always something that I still wanted to aspire to, but it just wasn't, I wasn't doing it full time at that time. And you did end up at Lincoln, didn't you? What was yeah, it? Was did, it yeah. Pete, uh, Peter Jackson saying yeah, you were a re- real uh, find. Yeah, I was at Lincoln. No, I was at college. I was in my second year at college and the college um, football coach used to work at Lincoln City. And I think Lincoln City had a few injuries at the time. So they were like, can you send five or six college lads that you think will be good enough to come and train? <laughs> Honestly, that's it's crazy how it worked out. <laughs> so obviously the tutor come to me and says, do you want to go with a few other lads and train? Just help them out for a bit, basically being mannequin. You know what I mean? For like when they're doing set pieces and stuff, you basically just stood there and trying to mark them. And I was like, yeah, I've got nothing to lose. So college let me go there for a week. Um, and then after the week we've gone, they said, we want to keep you behind and carry on training. Then I end up staying there and ended up getting a deal out of it, which is amazing. Yeah. And then Pete, Peter Jackson signed me. What a guy he was. I was going to say, he seems like a, he seems like a, a he's, he's kind of a bit of a cult figure in the game, I suppose, isn't he? I yeah, imagine he's, he's quite a lively character to be around. Yeah. He's a bit of a legend in Lincoln as well. Everyone used to love him because he used to stop random cars in the streets in Lincoln and stuff and just talk to old people and stuff like that. And he signed his name on the wall at, in the stadium. And I remember when he told me I was, we played a game against Lincoln United, which is like a local team in Lincoln that play each other the most years. Um, and I played in that for Lincoln City. And after the, the next day at the training ground, he, uh, I don't know if anyone knows this, I don't know if I've ever told anyone this or not. <laughs> uh, but I went into the manager's office and there was him, he's, all his coaches were there. Obviously, I was a young, shy lad, not fully fully developed even at that time yet, to be honest with you. And he was like, take your T-shirt off. I was like, what? Like all the coaches in there, I took the T-shirt off and he was like, yeah, we need to do some gym work with you. But you know what? I'm going to give you a year deal. He said, I love you as a player. I think you're really good. Um, we, we want to sign you. And I think I had a, a bright orange Renault Clio, I think it was at the time, outside. And he said, listen, son, if you work hard and stick to it, you'll change that clear for a Porsche, he said to me. <laughs> so it was like, I was a bit embarrassed, but then I was buzzing that I got a got a contract. So I got out of that meeting and walked, I could actually walk home from the stadium. I lived that close. So I remember walking home, rang my dad, was the first one I, I rang and said, I've got one, got a contract. And yeah, it started off really well and until Chris Sutton came in, really. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw that Chris Sutton was the one that released you, wasn't he? I'm, I'm yeah. guessing you're not a five live listener. <laughs> no, not anymore. No, uh, but he, he came in. And he had he had his own way of doing things. He brought in a lot of lone players from Premier League clubs. Um, at the time when Peter Jackson was there, he he was playing a lot of homegrown players. Like we had four or five that were actually born in Lincoln lads that I know now, and they were playing, doing well, being linked with other clubs. Um, obviously, Peter Jackson got the sack. Uh, Chris Sutton came in and that, that was basically just gone. He got all these players from bigger clubs thinking that would work. Um, some of the players were, were good players, but we were in a relegation battle at the time and they just wasn't ready for that. You know what I mean? They they were going out and stuff and it, it doesn't mean as much to a lone player coming in as it does a local lad. Like, I'd have loved to have played in them games and tried to help out and keep the club keep the club up instead of get, getting relegated. But he saw things different and... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happened at that club with him that I probably wouldn't talk to him if I saw him again, to be honest with you. And, and I know there's a lot of players, not just me. If it was just me, I'd be like, maybe it was me. But 
I was there every day, even though he didn't want me there. I, I still went in every day on time and, and trained hard and, and just tried to get tried my best to get back in the team. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. And that's probably one of my biggest regrets up to now, to be honest with you, not playing. Cause I only played one game in the cup for, for Lincoln and obviously being born there, all my family and friends and stuff are from there. I definitely want to play more games for that club. I suppose it's it's one of those things as well, isn't it? You can have a manager that's not a very good manager, don't really have a long career as a manager, but they can make decisions on players that can end a career virtually, can't can't it? And no, hundred percent. Like, like we were saying earlier, job. when players get released, they can go one of two ways. And like I told you about them, four or five players that were playing for Lincoln City first team that were locally. Once they got released, they just gave up and and didn't didn't bother pursuing it anymore and. Even though they were good players, like a couple of them were getting linked with Celtic and stuff like that, and they just just went and, and got a job, you know what I mean? It's hard because when you're at that age, a lot of the way everyone thinks footballers are earning £2 million a week, you know what I mean? It's not the case. You, you're earning very little, and your mates that are working on the roads or, or doing other jobs from, from college and from school, they're earning a lot more money. So mm-hmm. when these players are being released, they're just thinking, wow, well, try and get another club when I can go and work and earn more money. Yeah. And I, f- I fully understand that. And like I say, four or five players that I played with there went, went down that route and fair play to them. But he had that power. Like you say, the manager can have a power to just end careers like that and and put a real real misery on your life as well. It's like, that's your whole life, football. You know what I mean? It's full-time, it's every day. And he hasn't, he hasn't got a manager's job since. So it's, it's, it's probably a reflection of, of his time management there, I would say. Probably says a lot. He's quite annoying on Five Live as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you ended up at the the, the Glen Hot, the infamous Glen Hoddle Academy, didn't you, in Spain? Yeah, that's that's another crazy story. Was he actually? <laughs> is he actually ever there? Do you yeah, actually? Yeah, he, he was there full time. Was he? Yeah, he, he loves the sun and golf, so he's never not going to be there. We we lived on a five star golf course, um, and it was in the south of Spain, so it was hot all year round. So he was there every day, really good working for him. But yeah, that's another story. I was obviously got, I knew I wasn't going to get anything at Lincoln at the time because Sutton was there. Um, so I was a bit, bit pushed up against the corner, really, because I didn't know what to do. I'd got no experience. I played one cup game. I'd obviously come from college. I'm thinking I'm not going to get another team anywhere here. Um, but there's a lad called Chris Fagan that played for Lincoln at the time. Yeah, I remember him. He was the um, first player at the Glen Hoddle Academy, I think, to get a club. And he was playing for Lincoln. And the Glen Hoddle, Glen Hoddle Academy at the time was for Premier League and Championship players that had been released only. Um, so I couldn't have got in there if I went myself. And mm. I spoke to Chris and he said, oh, let me speak to Glen for you and see if there's any space on the on the uh, trials down in London. I said, oh, yeah, please. I've got nothing to lose. I'll try it. Um, and he managed to I think someone dropped out, to be honest with you. And I went down there with my dad for a week's trial down at Bisham Abbey. And when you have to sign in, my name was actually last on the list, like the very bottom so they must have just added me on because of Chris Fagan and gave me a gave me a, a, a recommendation. So yeah. it was crazy. And ended up after a week getting told that I'd I'd got a two year contract there, which is unbelievable to go out in Spain. So another lifeline used, I think, there from me. The Glen Hoddle Academy bears the name and carries the vision of one of English football's most gifted players. Having played for the likes of Tottenham Hotspur, Monaco and Chelsea in the 1980s and 90s, Hoddle moved into international and club management, where he faced a dilemma that didn't sit well with his footballing philosophy. I realised that I had to release 18, 19-year-olds from the game. And uh, I always thought then that it was possibly too early 
uh, to do this in football. There was too much talent falling out of the game that I felt I wanted to do something about that and give them a second chance and develop them and see what could be done. And uh, that's, that's really why I started it. The Hoddle Academy's vision is simple, to take players who have been released early by professional clubs and give them a chance to work closely with top-level coaches with a view to getting them back into the pro game. We're not really an academy, we're a professional outfit that are coaching professional players that have been released. That's a development centre really to improve them and I think that's the key to it. The academy means to me it's like another chance to get into football and hopefully develop my skills because obviously we've all been, been released from football clubs so hopefully coming out here can develop on my weaknesses which obviously I've got some and hopefully get straight back into a club. It sounds like your dad's quite a pivotal part in this whole story. You yeah, keep... my whole family are to be honest with you. They, they... To be honest with you, before probably last year, they'd watch nearly every game. They travel home and away. Even when I was at Hereford, miles away, they'd come and watch and travel. Uh, but yeah, it's just from a young age. Obviously, like I said before, I was travelling from Lincoln to Leicester, which at the time was an hour fifteen. My dad would have to finish work early um, to come back. I'd, I'd have to leave school fifteen minutes early, which the school gave me permission to do. Literally go home, eat tea together, and shoot off in the car. Yeah. And we wouldn't get back until like half 10. And my dad would be up again early morning um, working. And then he'd have to do that three times a week, you know. So it's put a lot of pressure on us. And I've got two brothers that were had obviously had hobbies as well that want to do. And my mum doesn't drive. So it was just my dad that was driving. So it, the whole family sacrificed a lot. It's not just my dad. It's my yeah. two brothers that sacrificed a lot. My mum, like I said, my granddad comes to all my games. So they definitely got a big role to play in. My dad was probably the first person that got me into football because just earliest memories just going to watch him play locally and stuff like that. Yeah. So I've got a lot, a lot to thank them for as well. And what's it like living in Spain for a bit then? That must be really nice. Yeah, yeah it was unbelievable. Um, like I say, we lived in the south of Spain on a golf course. It was like being a full-time footballer. We trained every day. Um, we played games once a week, usually on Wednesdays. And then we just... Like I say, we lived on a golf course. We played golf in the afternoons. We all lived together. We'd eat together. Um, and we had some unbelievable coaches out there. We had the likes of Glenn Hoddle was there every day, training us and teaching us. And I always say this. Uh, I probably won't say it to him because his head would get massive, but he was one of the best players I've ever seen. And he was old at the time. He used to join in training and he'd do things with both feet that like was unbelievable. <laughs> he'd do shooting and he'd be like, why don't you just do this? And he'd shoot it with his left foot and put it in the top bin every time. And you'd be like... That's unbelievable. We had likes of him there, uh, Nigel Spatman, Graham Ricks, um, Dave Besant. We had so, so many good coaches out there that obviously played at, at the top level and managed at the top level. Glenn's managed at the top level. So to have that tutelage and, and work out there. And it suited me as well because they were just all like technical stuff and everything like that. It was like a second chance for players that had been released too early. That's why they set it up and... No, it was a great experience and I loved every minute every minute of that, yeah. So what position you were were you kind of playing in that that time? Because obviously you started striker. You've... Yeah, I, went, I actually went on trial there. As When I got released and started playing locally, I think it happens to a lot of players when when you're, like I say, not being big-headed. If it, when, when you're one of the better players in the team, when I was playing locally, just got released from Leicester. I just played centre-mid more than playing up front just to get more, more in the game and stuff. So I started playing centre-mid. Um and I went to Glen Hodley Academy as a centre mid, um, and I got I, I trialed there as a centre mid, and I, I signed there as a centre mid as well. But I've always been able to play everywhere, just because I've been able to get up and down, and had the engine to do it. And like I say, I've spent 
10 years playing as a striker. Um, then went to centre mid and been played left wing, left back, right wing, striker again, pretty much everywhere apart from centre half. So I played centre mid, but then in certain games when we play out there, needed someone to go left wing or front three or as a striker, I'd, I'd, I'd move there, which has probably helped me in my career get get certain clubs as well because it's easy for a manager to sell me as a player. We can buy this player who can play three positions rather than buy three players. So it's it's definitely helped me in my career. I know that's definitely happened because managers that I spoke to before have, have said that. I was going to say I've had plenty of like left footers and, you know, the versatility and, you know, like you say, you can pros and cons. You can you sometimes I've spoken to players that said it's kind of hard to hold down one position because your your versatility can kind of go for you and against you. No, that's hundred uh, percent what's happened to me. I've always said I'll, I'll end my career whenever that will be. And people will say, what position was your best position? What position did you play? I haven't got an honest answer. Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. Like I still think now that I could play striker and score a lot of goals at whatever level I'm playing. Like, I still think I could do that. I've not played there for years. I think Chesterfield was probably the last time I played there in some games. Mm. Um, but then I played left-back and, and played well and enjoyed it. I played left-back and hated it. I don't really like it. I played left-wing and played well. I enjoy playing right-wing sometimes. So it's it's a crazy one. Like I say, it can hinder you because you sign up for a club. What position do you want to play? Uh, just want to play on the pitch. Like, <laughs> just want to play. But yeah. I think it's there's crazy. even been polls sometimes of, you know, like fav- who's your Chesterfield 11 type things. And, you know, you'll end up get getting put anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be certain players that get the spot, but you I'll can still end up at left, back, left wing, <laughs> centre midfield up front. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so you end up swapping Spain uh, for Hereford, don't you? Which is obviously a bit different weather-wise. So we're like 2011 now, aren't we? I think when you're at Hereford. Uh, yeah, I've got... Um... From Hereford, they obviously sort clubs out for you and tell, tell clubs that we've got these good players, send you clips from the games and stuff. Um, I nearly signed for Barnet. I went to Barnet on trial. Um, they wanted to actually sign me. I had Barnet and Hereford both offering me the, the same money. It was literally nothing. I couldn't afford to drive home from Hereford. It was that, that little money, but I had a choice between Barnet and Hereford and I chose Hereford just for the fact it was out of the way. I spoke to the manager. He really wanted to sign me, and I thought living in London on them on them wages, I, I might as well have put a tent up on the training ground. To be honest with you, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. So I chose Hereford, and yeah, I had a really good season there. Enjoyed my time there. It was brilliant, and obviously from there, it just kept getting getting better and better from there. Really, yeah, because this is where the, it's an incredible journey starts, where it's like conference to Premier League in five seasons. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit ridiculous. Like craziness starts. Yeah. How Makes how do you? Uh, obviously, we'll touch on a few of the clubs and things, but how do you kind of uh, keep adapting to it, or does it just? Do you just kind of? I suppose when you're in the moment, it just kind of happens, don't you? But do, do you ever in in that time get a chance to look back and go, "Crikey, this is happening quite quick." No, not really. I've always I've said in previous interviews that I've done. It's strange because. Might look bad on me or whatever, but I've I always found the higher I played up, the easier I found it. Like I, my my friend used to ask me when I was playing signed for Hereford, what's the highest you think you'll play? And when I was at Hereford, I was what was I, 21, 20? And you see lads making the debuts in the Premier League at 16, 17, and you're in the conference, it seems a million miles away. You 
I would never have dreamed I, I would have made it there. It, I might have thought I was good enough to play there or whatever, but it, like, it just seems so far away when you're in the conference. And I was just like, I'd love to play in the league. That's all I used to say. I'd love to just get a chance to play in the league. And then suddenly, obviously, the just went up the ladder and I just, every, every step I went, I just, I found it comfortable and I, I knew I was good enough to, like straight away, I knew I was good enough to be at that level and I knew that I could play. Every time I went to the, the level, I knew I could step up again. I knew that like, I'd play with players that had played higher or I'd be in that team and I'd be thinking, you know what, I think I could step up again here, just keep doing what you're doing. I never had a goal to get there and in a certain time or anything like that or was never ringing my agent every day saying, get me there. I'd, all I wanted to do was concentrate on football and that's all I did. Just train every day hard and just play football. And as you say, if I'm good enough, I'll, I'll get there. It doesn't matter who you've got around you. And like I say, it just was a crazy journey. And then when I ended up getting in the Premier League, it was one of them where I did interviews for like Sky and stuff. And then that's when you take a look back and you realise, yeah, I was actually in the conference five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Like not being able to afford to go home. And now I'm playing in the Premier League against against and with players that I used to play with on FIFA and watch on match of the day and look up to mm. and playing against Rooney and stuff like that. It's like the, the playing at Old Trafford, I've been a Man U fan, been to watch so many games at Old Trafford, never dreamed of playing there and end up playing there three or four times. It's honestly it's crazy. It's it's a mad journey. Which players when you were kind of Hereford or when you were younger were the ones that you were kind of modeling yourself on who did you watch and kind of look at the game and try and pick up bits from everyone to be honest with you I used to have a, I, used to, I tell my close friends now I used to have a weird thing when I was young I used to watch football and I'd watch it like I think I'd watch it different to what other players would watch it I would look how players kick the ball and the technique on like hitting diags or the technique on taking corners or just stuff like that and then I'd go out in my garden or down the side of the house and I practiced that technique. I didn't watch the games in like a full 11 v 11 and just worry about the score. I'd see like how like I used to watch Paul Scholes being a Man United fan. I used to love him, ginger hair, just the same thing. Was small. I used to like really like him, and I'd literally watch how he'd kick the ball, like what part of his foot, where his hands would be, like for his balance. And it was strange. I used to watch the game like that, and then I'd go out in the garden, and I used to put like little targets in the garden, and I'd I won't, I'd say to myself, I won't go in the house until I'd hit that target like 10 times using that technique. Sometimes I'd be there for hours, like breaking the fence and stuff in the garden. The neighbours would be going mad, but that's all I used to do. was just practice that technique, practice it, practice it. And I'd see someone take a free kick or outside of the foot. And I'd just literally just try that all day long. I just used to love doing that, to be honest with you. Is that when so like a hobby, a hobby or a, a passion becomes a bit of an obsession? <laughs> yeah, 100%. It was, 100% was an obsession. I'd finish, I'd be playing football all day at school, finish finish school and I'll be having my tea straight away and I'll be straight out in the garden down the park and I'd literally just be practicing them things like I wouldn't tell anyone about it because I used to think it was a bit strange that I'd be worrying about what part of the foot I'd be kicking and stuff like that and where I'd put my hands and stuff like that. I didn't think anyone watched the game like that so I'd literally just do that and over and over and over again until I thought right I've nailed that technique and try something else yeah so you moved on from uh, Hereford then uh, to Mansfield, who were League Two at the time. Boo! Uh, yeah. And you obviously had a season with them in thirteen fourteen. You played like loads of games, didn't you? Forty three appearances or something like that. But I think yeah. it, I remember at the time when we signed you because it was like transfer deadline day, wasn't it? It was like first of September, twenty fourteen. That you were like not necessarily a starter at the start of that season, were you? Or have I just remembered it wrong? Because I remember the fans at the time thinking, 
uh, after you've obviously shown how good you were, going, why was he on the bench for Mansfield? Uh, <laughs> so what happened? I obviously played a lot of games the previous year for Mansfield. Um, loved my time there again. I've, every club I've been out of love, to be fair. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And then what happened was the manager, uh, Paul Cox at the time, said to me that they were going to sell me and Chesterfield were interested. So he was saying, I don't want to play you because the club are going to earn some money from it. You're going to get injured. I remember, I think the last game we played was Sheffield United in a cup game. Um, and he said to me, you're going to be on the bench. You're not going to play because I think it's near enough done to Chesterfield. Uh-huh. And then one of the players ended up getting injured first 10 or 15 minutes. So then I ended up playing near enough the whole game, worrying about don't get injured, don't get injured. Obviously got through that game, played well and now I went to sign for, sign for Chesterfield. Was that kind of rumbling on then all throughout that start of the few games of the season then? Yeah, it was, yeah. Like I said, I got told probably in the summer that Chesterfield were really interested and then it's always the politics between the clubs, agreeing a fee and all the stuff like that. Like, it was never a problem from our end with my, me and my agent, like I said. I would I would play football for free if I could afford it to drive home and stuff. It, the, the money and stuff's never been part of it. I just always always wanted to play football and stuff. So it was just about the two clubs agreeing it and coming to certain terms. Um, like I say, in their head, they was going to sell me. They was ready to sell me. Obviously, they was earning money from it. To be fair to them, they didn't want to stand him away. A lot of clubs sometimes say, no, you're not going. We're keeping you. Try and make more money next year. But they were like, no, like you, you can go. We're happy for you mm-hmm. to go if you want to go. And I basically just said it's it's an opportunity to play a league above again. We played against Chesterfield the previous year. Obviously, they got promoted that that season. So I remember playing against Paul Cook's teams and, and liking the way they played football and stuff. So I was really excited to join there and like happy to go. Danny Jones on that left foot. Lays it off to Morsi. In for Roberts. The little flick over the top of Klukas! And Sam Klukas! Gives Chesterfield the equaliser. What's what's it like, kind of the first days with a Paul Cook squad? He's a, he's a right character, isn't he? And he's very in, infectious and motivating. And uh, I've kind of met him once. I was running years ago. I was running a marathon, and Ashgate. I was doing it for Ashgate Hospice, and there was like a bit of a photo thing that they let us do at the cup uh, at the club. And I was able. I was sat in a in a room and he kind of came in and just had a chat and he was he was going through contacts on his phone like of players that he'd been offered going what do you think to him and I was like he's always injured and he was like yeah no 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 and he was going it was it was amazing it was like the best <laughs> half an hour um but yeah what was it like for you in kind of first few days of training yeah, with the new join, club? join join any clubs nerve-wracking because you don't know most of the time you don't know anybody there so it's like joining a new school and stuff you're obviously mm-hmm. nervous you've got to prove yourself you've you don't go into a club and be shouting about and, and be yourself to be honest with you. You're quiet for a few, first few days until you get bedded in and show everyone what you can do. But you obviously you, you know what Paul Cook's like. He's, he's brilliant to be around and he's probably one of the best managers I've had. Him and probably Steve Bruce where you've joined the club and immediately you just feel welcome. Like I sometimes after night games and we train the next day, I'd obviously stay in a hotel because I didn't, didn't want to drive home because it'd be late. Um, and he'd be like, right, come out. We'll go to the pub for a bit and just go in the pub and just have a normal chat with like a couple of the other lads. You know what I mean? Just, And it was just so good that that just helped me settle in. He'd bring a few of the other players that were staying over and just stuff like that just really helped me bed into the team. And it was a great atmosphere there. That's probably one of the best team environments I've been in. 
I think because they've done so well together and we got promoted, the majority of the team when I was there would, has all been together for a year and mm-hmm. it's a great atmosphere, great characters, great lads. And obviously the manager all built that in and I think I fitted into that perfect and straight from day one, I just, just felt really comfortable there and it was, it was a great set of lads to be involved in. And that's half the job, I think, in football is getting the lads to play for you. Doesn't matter how good they are, if you can get the lads to run through a brick wall for you and enjoy playing for you, then you've cracked off it and you'll, and you'll have a really good season. Yeah, and I remember when uh, uh, Ollie Banks came on the podcast just before he re-signed for Chesterfield um, and he was saying that he had a bit of a stinker of a match one day and uh, Paul Cook kind of called him into his office and said, you know, I know you're really good, so don't worry about it. And, and he kind of went out, he kind of thought going in the office, like, oh no, what's going to happen? And then he kind of came out 10 feet tall. Uh, it's kind of... I suppose in any business away from football or in football to have like a leader like that in charge is just great. For everyone, I, said, I spoke to loads of players that have played under him before at Wigan and stuff. And I've always said he's, he's a, I'd love to work for him again. He's a brilliant manager. Just you see him on the touchline. He's so, that he just helps you walk through the game. Like he's just so positive all the time. He don't throw his arms up at you and, and slate you or anything like that. If he wants you to do things better, he'll get you in in a one v one situation in his office, and he'll he'll tell you in a way where you take it on board. And but you'll still go out there thinking he loves me. I'm a good player. Like you still go out there thinking that you're really good. And I, like I say, I enjoy playing for him because he, he just wants you to go out and play football. Like get on the ball he, before every game. You'd be like, lads, you're a good group of players. You're good good footballers. Just go out there, get on the ball, and enjoy yourself. And all the lads at that time were technical players and really good players on the ball. He, we just had a really good time just going out there and just, just playing football, like just going back to like the street football and just enjoying it, getting on the ball. And we obviously had a really good season that season. Probably should have got promoted, to be honest. Yeah, I, I remember him uh, where, when I spoke to him, there was that rumour at the time that he'd told Tendai Dariqua to kind of take a ball home with him and, you know, treat it like a baby for the next yeah. few weeks. And things like that. I was like, yep. Yeah, that was right. <laughs> yeah. So he's he's got, definitely got his methods, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's got his every every manager's got different methods, but like I say, I've I've only got positive things to say about him. He, he was brilliant for me. And I was obviously back at Chesterfield the other week, um, doing doing a bit for BT Sport and I actually popped in before I did all that and seen him in his office and he was exactly the same. Great guy to be around after the game. Come into the office, have a beer. He'll invite anybody in there. It's just that's just how he is, and it's it's dead infectious and the lads will feed off that and they'll be buzzing to go in there training every day because you know what type of character he is. I was looking at the at the games that you played in, um, obviously, which I think when, when you've made your debut, I, I think you maybe you missed the... You didn't play the first game after you'd signed because it's like the next day or something yeah. like that. But then after that, you played in... You appeared in every game for that season. Uh and and the first couple of games I think you were in was the two consecutive hat tricks that Doyle scored, yeah, yeah. Um, which was just ridiculous. Like he was a player, like you were saying, going up the league sometimes it gets gets easier. He, I remember the season in League Two, some going, oh, you know, you might want to upgrade Owen Doyle because he only scored like a dozen goals that season or something. And then, yeah, teams I suppose play differently against a, a team that are not expected to do much against a team that are. Yeah. And suddenly he scores loads of goals. It must be, was it a bit with Doyle that season when you're threading the ball through to him, you're just walking back to the half line, halfway line, knowing that he scored before it's even hit the net? Yeah, he was on fire that season. I remember when I first joined, just seeing him in training, his finishing, his movement, 
was was unbelievable. Like, and you're only as good as your service when you're a striker. And I think if you look at the players that he had behind him, like like so Gary Roberts, Fred in and like technically unbelievable. Jay O'Shea at the time was on fire. We had the two full backs that were just bombing on all the time and and creating goals. And Sam Moisey, Jimmy Ryan, some like really good players in there, like probably better than that level, but they were there that the manager put together. We had just had such a good team that that we knew if we got got the ball in the right areas, Doyle will score. If he goes a game without scoring and we lose, it's probably not Doyle's fault. It's probably our fault for not giving him good enough good enough chances because he put them away if, if we put them there. So no, we had a really good season and like I say another great guy to be around as well. Yeah. And one of your first games as well was that crazy three two against Sheffield United when uh, Tommy Lee got sent off and young Miles Wright had to play yeah. in net. I think you came on, I think, as a substitute in that game or something. But it was, I mean, yeah, some of those games that season were just ridiculous, weren't they? Some some massive teams in there and some unbelievable atmospheres. Like that, that Sheffield United one was a great atmosphere. And there's a few heavy tackles, if I remember rightly, going, yeah. going off in that game as well. So, But they're the games you love to play. And to be honest with you, you look back and you think, well, they're good old school football games now. You won't get them nowadays, especially at the top level. You'd have six or seven players sent off with all the VAR rubbish. But no, they were great games to play in. Thoroughly enjoyed all them. Who who were the players in that squad that you were kind of closest to? Was was it kind uh, of ones that had these little subgroups, or was it just kind of a big a big gang? You no, know what there wasn't really subgroups in the squad that time. That's been one of the only times in my career where everyone was just like I say because they'd become through so much together. I think in the season before and had all the success, they just had a really good group. And when you have that success, it just brings everybody together. Um, but Lads, I still speak to now. I speak to Robbo now and again. I spoke to him the other, other day when I was obviously there. Uh, Dan Gardner, I still speak to. Um, Sam Morsey, I see now and again. And just a few, like Richie Humphreys, still speak to him now and again. And like, a couple of years after that, we used to go out for food and a few drinks and stuff, like Tommy Lee and Gary Roberts and all them lads. But football is strange, like industry to be in because when you change clubs as much as I've done, you get to know people like so intimately, you know the families, you're with each other more than you see your families. So you get to know when the partners are having kids, like if there's sadly deaths in the family and that, you get to know them like deeper than you would your own friends. It'd take 10 years to get to know your friends that well. And then suddenly you move on and you always say, keep in touch. And you do for six months. And then suddenly you get the same friends again at a new club and you live miles away from where they live and trying to organise nights out or get-togethers, it's, it's virtually impossible. So slowly you end up just like slowly coming apart and just sending the odd text, which is probably a sad side to the to the industry, to be honest with you, because you meet some really good lifelong friends that you'd like to keep lifelong friends. But people have families, like I say, people move abroad sometimes and play in different parts of the country and it virtually becomes impossible to, to, get, to get together. Like you say, it's... It's an odd balance, isn't it? Because I've spoken to a lot of players where they say you have more more like acquaintances than friends, but like at the same time, you can probably quite acutely tell if someone's going through something in their life and something's not quite right. I've had players on before that have said, you know, they've kind of noticed sometimes in training, like, is he all right? You know, um, and you can kind of notice it is an odd, an odd situation, is it? especially when you're all kind of young men as well. Yeah, like I say, you can tell straight away. As soon as you get in in that morning, someone someone that normally comes in that's bubbly and says morning to you, suddenly the next day they come in, got their head down, don't say morning, and you you know straight away, like I say, you spend more time with them than anybody else. 
you know all the mannerisms and their behaviors and stuff like that so you, you know when it's not right and most of the time as well the, the manager will know that and they'll get them in and speak to them and, and stuff like that but yeah it's like I say it's hard to get really really close friends like that's probably the right word acquaintances in football and mm. just become sad when you end up leaving and trying to start them friendships again with other other people at other clubs so the belief must have built quite quickly in that season because obviously we went into it you kind of sometimes go into a season after you've won promotion, like a bit cocky, thinking, "Yeah, I think we're going to have a good season." This, like as fans, anyway. Um, but then, as as players, when you start start off and you've got that momentum going and it's going well, and I suppose you've got someone like Doyle up front scoring lots of goals, you must start to think, "Oh, actually, we could we could maybe get playoffs here, or we could maybe do this this year." What was it like as that season kind of built and went on? I knew straight away to be honest with you, we'd have a good season. Um, I didn't know how good it was going to be, but as soon as I joined there, just the players, um, the stadium, the pitch was always unbelievable. I used to love playing there because the pitch was one of the best in the leagues all the time. Mm. It was always a carpet. The poor cook always used to make sure it was like that because of the way he wanted to play. Just like I say, just everything, the manager, the fans, because they'd obviously have a successful season the year before, the fans were just buzzing for it and had all that excitement for the new season and get behind the lads and whatever. And when we performed and played well, you could feel that in the stadium and stuff. But like I say, I just knew because of the players, the way we played, everyone enjoyed playing. Everyone enjoyed going into training, which isn't always the case, by the way. <laughs> um, even the lads that weren't playing, normally you get like a group that aren't playing, that are not happy, want to get out. They'd love coming in training. They'd love to be in around the squad. The whole squad was together. And it was just... It was just everything. You could just tell it was going to be um, a good season. And uh, it was until Preston obviously did it in the in the playoffs, which is another regret of mine, to be honest with you, because I've got a really bad memory when it comes to football matches and stuff like in particular games. And people always say, do you remember that game I played against you? And I'm like, no. But I always remember that. It still bugs me to this day. I had the chance uh, one-on-one with Preston away. I played up front against Sam Johnston. Um, Sam Morsey played me through and had a one-on-one and he saved it. And I, I honestly, honestly, I'm not just saying it because I'm on the podcast, but I think about that probably once every couple of weeks, like what I should have done different, like where I should have put the ball and like I should have scored and it would have made it an interesting game and we could have come back into the game. And Honestly, I, like I say, I still think about that and imagine if we'd have got to the championship with... With Chesterfield, it had been with that group of lads and that manager, it had been unbelievable. Was a, that was a difficult period as well after that game, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had to kind of, uh, obviously, Owen Doyle was sold, uh, yeah. got a great move to Cardiff, didn't he? Um, but then you ended up kind of <laughs> playing up front <laughs> yeah. for a little bit. Uh, stuff like that. It's, I don't know. It, it must have been a bit of a oh when he when he he went. I suppose you're kind of happy for him, but at the same time, it's a bit a bit like yeah. Oh. I think everyone would have been the same manager, chairman, everyone to be honest with you, because it's one of them where yeah, you make money off him. It's a great move for the for the club. It's a great move for the lad. He's done so well for the club, so he deserves his chance. You can't begrudge him with his chance, but then the other hand, he's left. And being honest, we're probably a striker, a prolific striker, short now of getting promoted. I think that's all we need would have needed to be honest with you. One or one or two players and we could have got there. It is one of them where he's done well to get the move, but we never really replaced him. And like I say, you end up getting people trying to fill in for him like me and 
that have not played there week in, week out for a long time. And it's hard just to go in there for a game and be expected to score one or two goals when you're not used to playing that position for a while. So it's a difficult period, but we still had chances. We we still could have done it, but unfortunately it wasn't just one for us at that, that time. Yeah. You did get nine that season, didn't you? I think. I think it was nine. And you included yeah, a couple of doubles. Colchester and Gillingham got a couple of doubles. Yeah. And like, yeah, that Preston game. I mean, it, it's a game that most Chesterfield fans probably think about <laughs> every now and then, just because when yeah. you're so close on the cusp of the championship, it's, but I mean, then you look at the team that Preston had at that time, they'd like Beckford and Garner up front, and like you yeah. say, Johnston in there, that like, you look back at it now and think, wow, they've got a really good team. But then sometimes you, you don't always look back and, well, I suppose we do quite a lot, look back and go, wow, we had a really good team at that point. You yeah. look at where, where you all went on to, um, yeah, I think the difference is great things. They had they had players that were obviously coming down, playing the Premier League and stuff. Where we had players that come from the other way, mm. players that are working the, the way up through the leagues, and everyone probably looked at it and gone, Chesterfield have got no chance here because they've got players that were playing in League Two, players in the Conference. Look at like say Beckford, Garner, all of them players that played at higher level, like been playing at that level for years. Everyone just wrote us off, but the playoffs are just a gamble. It's eleven v eleven. Just the team spirit and the way we played, I really fancied us. I would never come up a team against a team there where I thought, well, we won't win this. I, I fully believe that we'd, we'd win that. Yeah, and and when I had when I spoke to Paul Cook, he spoke about when he knew he was going, and that at the end of that season, kind of everyone went back to Liverpool and kind of had a few drinks with him, and then he was saying that you know he was crying in the car on the way home and. And stuff like that. Like, what was it like at the end of that season? Because it did feel like something was coming to an end, didn't it? Yeah, like you say, it was. It's one of them where Doyle was obviously gone already. Um, the manager was leaving. Because we've had such a good season, it's inevitable that the players get linked elf, elsewhere. Especially, like I said, when we've got players that were working the way up the leagues, that other clubs knew they could get for fairly cheap in that in that market, rather than buying players from the Premier League or Championship. So the success, unfortunately, brings a lot of attention from higher clubs and you're going to end up losing your best players, your, your manager and stuff like that. And that's going to happen. And Obviously, not in, a, not in a position where they can afford to offer massive wages to compete with the teams that were coming in and say, right, we'll, we'll have another go for another year. We'll offer the manager more money, more years to keep him. We'll offer these players better terms and, and try and keep them. It's, it's hard to do that at that, that level. And there's not many teams that can do that. So it was definitely just felt like a, a period where almost that was our chance, like to get to the championship. And now we've not got there. Players obviously getting linked elsewhere and seeing championship clubs or whatever coming in from their life. Maybe the head head starts to turn then and going right and get to the championship with them. I'll go go and try and play in that league. So it's definitely a period where you knew that it was going to change. League goes long. First half of extra time, Nangelay will flick it on, Roberts with the skill, he's got Doyle free on the right-hand side, Lucas arriving, 1-0, Chesterfield have the breakthrough in extra time, they lead Scunthorpe, Lucas, really good skill, Nangelay, Jones over on that left-hand side, there's plenty getting forward here as Chesterfield hunt a second, intercepted by Boyce, and then one back brilliantly by Dawikwa. Can he get the cross in from the right-hand side? He's still going forward, a twist and a turn. It's only half away. Comes out to Klukas with a curler! 
2-0. Surely Chesterfield are through to the fourth round of the Cup. You got a good move to Hull. Um, and Chesterfield made a very decent profit out of you, as well, it's got to be said. So yeah, it kind of no, worked out. Yeah, it's, best, it's best for all parties. There's another story about that. I was actually signing for Wigan. It was near enough basically done with Wigan. I actually sat with their manager in his living room and with my agent and basically said it was done. Um, but then we played Hull in a pre-season friendly with Chesterfield. And I was like, I want to play in the game tomorrow. I think it was the day before I was actually with him. I want to play in the game tomorrow against Hull. Um, and then we'll sort it out next week. There's, there's no rush. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Played in that game against Hull. And then literally the next day, uh, my agent rang me and said, Hull want to do it. Um, do you want to go sign for Hull? They're, they're really impressed with you. Steve Bruce wants you. They're flying. They've flown to Austria today. They're in Austria. They want you to fly out and, and sign. And then suddenly it was like, what, what's happening here? Like <laughs> going to sign for like Hull with massive players that obviously played Tom Huddleston and Michael Dawson and Jake Livermore and players like that. It was just, I was like, wow, let's get, let's do the whole one. Let's get there. Flew to Austria the next day. And obviously it was a good move for me and good move for Chesterfield as well. Because like I say, they earned, they earned some money from it. Yeah, totally. And for Hull, it, it was like, what, you played like 52 games that season or something? Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I used to play eight, before the last couple of seasons, before I turned 30, I was, used to play minimum 35 games a, a season. Before I turned 30, I actually never had a muscle injury. Like, mm. never had a, like, a bad injury. Um, and then suddenly all the injuries caught up with me. But yeah, I played played a lot of games. Like I say, just trained hard and, and played at the weekends and just looked after myself really in between all that. Yeah. And and obviously, it's a playoff win against Sheffield Wednesday, which, as Chesterfield fans, it's nice to see. <laughs> so it must have been that. And like they say that that's the biggest game in, you know, world football or whatever, because of the amount of money that is placed on that game. Yeah, uh, that's, that's my best incredible. best day of my life, that probably that I'm a daughter being born. But career-wise, that it's hard to put into words just... It's probably different for different players. Some other players have done it before, but from where I come from, working at Debenhams, seven years before that, to being, I was on the bench for Wembley. I didn't even start the game. I came on like 15 minutes or something just to get that promotion. Like, I think that was one of the only times that I probably cried in front of my parents, to be honest with you, still to this day. Uh, they were in the crowd watching and it was just, all the emotions just come out just at that moment, you know, it's just something that I literally, honestly, never thought would would happen. It never crossed my mind until you're actually in the playoff final, and then we'd actually been battered by Sheffield Wednesday in the in the league. You know, the good team, and I've back on my head. I was like, I want to get there, but they're a good team. Like it might not happen, and fortunately for us, they just didn't show up on the day, and it was like one of the best days and best nights as well that I'd ever had in my life because. Hull was such a good club and stuff and family club. Both teams actually organised like a party, promotion party. Like I know Sheffield Wednesday did it as well. We had mm. one at a hotel sorted. You could bring family and friends. So I had all my friends down there, my family, like I said, mum, dad, granddad, a couple of my mates. And then just straight after the game, just straight on the beer, straight into the hotel, everyone's family and friends there, like music's playing, managers there, just, Honestly, just one of the best, like I say, best days, best nights. I, I didn't take my medal off for two days, I think. Next day on the train home, I still have a medal on. It was it was unbelievable. And I bet it just must, because it's like the last game of that season as well, and then you've got a, a holiday. 
it must just it must just carry on for weeks. That yeah, it's, that it's mad because it's one of them where if you don't get promoted, you've wasted two weeks of your summer holiday. We only we only get a short period of time yeah. anyway off. So it's one of them. If you don't get promoted, you've wasted two weeks, three weeks into the summer. But now, we, like I say, we we won that game. I went home and then went straight on holiday, and then you've got the excitement of of that game still going on in you, and then you've got the excitement of God playing in the Premier League next year. Like I hope I'm going to play. Just look at the teams, look at the players that clubs are signing. You see players that have been linked with like like Zlatan Ibrahimovic being like linked with Man United and stuff. And you're like, God, we're playing against them players. Like, how's it got to this? I just I need to get. I want to get back to preseason now and just like yeah, make sure yeah, I'm the team like play well and and stay fit. And like I say it was a, just a crazy summer, really, like crazy, crazy summer. That must be cool when waiting for like the fixture list to come out. See yeah. when, you're, when you're playing everyone and everything like that. Yeah, be, I'll be honest with you, that the fixture list is not really a big thing for me usually. But obviously, as soon as you're in the Premier League, being like being a big Man United fan, that was the first one I looked for when we played Man United away, just to play at Old Trafford. And I always wanted to play them in the evening. It was a midweek as well, just to play under the lights and stuff. And yeah. just looking for them fixtures, I was like, wow, I get to, get to play in games like that. You know, it's it's incredible. Even just in, in this room that I'm in now, I've actually got a big <laughs> painting of me taking on Rooney. <laughs> that I got someone to do that I've not even hung up yet, so it's it's mad. Yeah, and and to complete like the circle, uh, you end up making your Premier League debut against Leicester, which yeah, <laughs> which is like it's just like it seems like the perfect the the perfect way to like complete that circle of being too short and then making your Premier we, League debut against Leicester. They, they won the Premier League the year before that. Um, we played them first game of the season. We beat them on TV. Um, yeah, like I say, it's full circle. And I actually scored against them in the away fixture as well that season, which was um, amazing. And I actually saw weird, another weird story and how weird things happen. The guy that actually released me, I saw in the hotel. We stayed in the hotel the night before, obviously, before the game. And I saw him in the lobby in there. And he, he was face to face. And he's like, are you getting on? I said, like, yeah, I'm doing really well. I feel like a small kid. I've done well. And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, you've done well and all this. And then next day I happened to score against him and just an unbelievable feeling. It was one of them where it was a bit of a, maybe a bit of a middle finger up to him in the in the crowd. It was one of them, you know, like, <laughs> I'm happy I'm back here and I've scored against you, you know what I mean? It was, it was one of them moments, I think. Yeah. And it must be really nice because you've not, you didn't just go to the Premier League, make one sub appearance and then, you know, which I'm sure you would have taken when you yeah. were years and years ago, but you actually played a lot of you played a lot of games in the Premier League, haven't you? <laughs> no, that 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 was in my career so far. That's the best season I've had performance wise and stuff. I actually got get again and got lucky because I was playing the year before. I was playing left wing for Hull. Steve Bruce was playing me left wing all the time. Never played centre mid just because the centre mids they had at the time were unbelievable. Um. And then Steve Bruce left that pre-season because the club wouldn't like back him and stuff like that. Um, so we ended up with like not a lot of players. A few of the players left. So we we had a a picture in the mountains in Austria where we had we only had like ten senior players signed at the time. So we were short players. So I ended up just playing centre mid as a six in pre-season friendlies and just played really well as a six. And then the next thing I know. I'm, I'm playing, I played 90% of the Premier League games as a holding midfielder. Gone from a striker to a holding midfielder, and it's the best football I've ever played. Like, you obviously know when you play well or you don't play well. And 
I played well in mo- like literally most of the games, even though we wasn't doing well in in the in the games and losing. I I knew personally that I was playing well and just enjoyed it and just wanted to stay in the Premier League. You know what I mean? That, that was now I'd got there and had a taste of it. Mm. Just wanted more and more of it. So I think that pushed me on to maybe step up to the next level. After that, I was fortunate enough to get linked with another couple of clubs after Hull got relegated and moved on to Swansea. There's a few swing this corner and he needs a better delivery than the free kick and he's looked to have got one there. Klukas! Oh, what a goal! Sam Klukas! Oh, pick that one out! A moment of sheer brilliance from Sam Klukas! Simply unstoppable. You ended up going for quite a lot of money, didn't you, to Swansea? Yeah, I did, yeah. Not not as much as was reported. Um, it was less than that because there was a player involved going the other way. So they took into consideration the value of that player as well. So it made it look a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I think the main reason for that was uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson had just gone from Swansea. Um I think he went for about 50 million or something like that. Mm. Something ridiculous. So Hull knew that Swansea had the money um, because there's another couple of clubs that I was speaking to at the time, Burnley being one of them, that would put bids in, but it was nowhere near the fee that they were willing to pay and Hull were willing to accept the price that Burnley were willing to play, pay. But as soon as they saw that Sigurdsson went for that much, I think they played the game a little bit with Swansea and yeah. Swansea ended up biting and and, and paying the paying a lot more than probably should have to be honest with you. <laughs> like it's it must be a mate. It must be it must be weird. I suppose when you're part of that industry, things you just it, it just is what it is, isn't it? But um, it's it is still bonkers, isn't it? That as a like a commodity or something like that, you can be worth quite a lot of money. Yeah, as an it's crazy asset. when you think how much you're worth. Like um, like I say, it's just a crazy situation, but. That that never really bothered me to be honest with you. Obviously, used to see that used to get mentioned in with fans and stuff like that. How much you paid for him? He's way too much, or he's not worth that. Who's paying that much for him and stuff? But honestly, it never really bothered me because that's nothing to do with me. It's like if they're willing to pay it, and one club's willing to accept it and and playing the game, I can't help that. If if I'd have gone for a hundred million, it, it's nothing I've done. I've not negotiated it or said right, I want to go for this amount of money or anything. And, I literally, I don't get any money, that money. It's not like the old days where you get 10% of the transfer fee, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get any of it. So it's it's just one of them where it's, it just gives an excuse for people to say, I can't believe we paid that much money for somebody or he's not worth that, you know what I mean? Or maybe they turn around and say, oh, that was a cheat and we got, got him on the cheat. But Swansea fans will tell you different now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you've obviously had a uh, spell at Swansea, now at Stoke. You've kind of established... Uh, you know, higher league, Premier League player. Um, you must look back at those initial days when things, you know, looked borderline whether you'd actually become a footballer or or not. You know, when you were going to college or like yeah, Debenhams, yeah. how that always gets mentioned, doesn't it? Debenhams yeah. must be amazing looking back. Yeah, like I say, you have to look back and think, how's it? How's it gone from that? It's gone literally from one thing to to the extreme, something that very rarely happens like i think I, I think i'm the only player that's done a conference to the premier league in five consecutive years i know there's been a lot of other players that have done it but they've done it like big jump or they've done it over a lot of years but 
I think I'm the only one that's done done it consecutive years. And I've definitely got, like I said, I've definitely got lucky on the way with some of the moves I've got and how they've come about. Um, but uh, to look back and think, like just how how far I've come and to actually be playing, I was playing at that that level, and now I'm actually at this level now and playing there for a, a long period of time. I think that just reaffirmed to myself that I'm good enough to be playing at this level and I'm at the right I'm at the right place you know I'd obviously like to be playing in the Premier League still but the two teams that I signed for ended up getting relegated and could have got lucky and stayed up and still be in the Premier League now so it's but I'm just grateful for where I am to be honest with you not one where I look back and think I wish I was playing for England or in the Champions League and stuff like that I'd, I'd love to but my, my main goal now is just to keep playing football you know I, I love playing football I don't want to retire anytime soon. I, I've always said that I'll play football until I can't play football anymore, or until I turn up and I realise I'm probably not good enough to be playing anymore. Mm. And that'll, that'll be a really sad day, to be honest with you. But I still feel like I've got loads to give, um, playing at the highest possible level. And I'm out of contract this year, at the end of this year. So it's probably going to be the first time in my career where I've actually gone to the end of my contract because before that, I've signed for a club, signed three years or four years played the season, moved up, gone to another club, signed three, four years after a year, moved again. So it's probably the only time that I'm going to be going into the summer, well, the end of the season without a, without something lined up because I had a few injuries this season as well, which obviously doesn't help. So it's going to be an interesting time come the summer, to be honest with you, but my options are open. And mm-hmm. I've always said to people that I'm not one of them snobby players that says I won't go back down and play in League Two, League One or the conference or anything like that, I'll I'll literally go play wherever. If I'm playing football and playing every week, I'm I'm happy. The level's not really an issue for me, but I just think why I why I think I can play at a certain level, I'd like to stay at that level, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you're not really so any thoughts coming to your head about what you do after you've finished playing then or anything like that? Are you still in that uh play mode? Still, you're not still starting about play. coaching yeah, badges or things like that. I'm still in that player's mentality, but I think the realism comes when you hit 30 and you like you, you see players retiring at 32, 33 sometimes, like sometimes because of injuries or sometimes just, just retire. And you have to start thinking about the, the next level, you know what I mean? Like I say, everyone, most of the general public think that footballers just earn enough money to be able to go and live on a private island and get private jets everywhere for the rest of life. It's not like that. It's such a small percentage of players that play at the top level for numerous years that can that have the luxury of being able to do that. So, um, like I say, I, I, before I became a footballer, I was looking at being a PE teacher, something that I still might do. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to go abroad and do something. Um, I've started doing my coaching badges, so it's definitely probably an area, football area, that I'd like to stay in if I can. Uh, but I'm open to anything, to be honest with you. I, I like to keep busy, so I've I've had two weeks at home not being able to do anything because of my back surgery recently so I think that's putting into perspective that if I was to retire I couldn't sit at home and do nothing to be honest with you I'd yeah. pull my hair out especially because so you're still actually I've, I've spoken to other players recently where they've had a, a full another career after football yeah. you know you're still young aren't you yeah. um so it's it is you can go on to anything can't you yeah, like I say, it's, the options are open. Told, like I said before, I'm doing my coaching badges. I've done my B licence, doing my A licence this year and just see what happens from there, really. Like, obviously, the, I tried the punditry the other week, which I've never really done, to be honest with you, and I actually really enjoyed it. 
So it's something I'd like to do again if I got the opportunity and just a lot more opportunities come up when you've had as many clubs as I have. <laughs> Some certain things come up at different different times and different places and it's just trying to work out if I if I want to go into that and if I if I'd enjoy going into that that side yeah. of the game or away from the game as well. Yeah. Well as Chesterfield fans, it's it's nice because we always it's it's nice to have players that have even if they've just passed through, uh, you know, that you then see them playing in the Premier League and stuff like that. You, uh, you know, we feel the same pride probably as your family yeah. do, just because we're Chesterfield fans, and you're like, oh, that's, that's so good because he's playing playing against you know whatever brilliant player it is. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's nice seeing you go up there. And obviously, I'm going to put two and two together. But you've said you'd love to play for Paul Cook again one day. You've said yeah. you know. You'd think about that Preston <laughs> game. Maybe you've got a bit of unfinished business. You know, you mentioned your contract's right. coming to an end. And then all, all the people that watch this podcast are going to go, well, you had Paul Cook on like a month before he came back. And then you spoke yeah. to Wally Banks a month before he came back. You know, would uh, I, I suppose it might not be anytime soon, but at some point before you retire, could you see yourself playing for Paul Cook again at the at Chesterfield? 100%, even if it wasn't Paul Cook, I'd, I've always said, literally, honest, honestly, every club I've had, I've enjoyed playing there. Even my time at Lincoln, which didn't finish well, just to play for my hometown club and stuff, so much pride just sitting on the bench and putting on that training kit every day. Even with Swansea and stuff, I really enjoyed playing there and, and living there. And every every club I've had has played a massive part in my career because without that, I don't think I'd, work, I'd be where I'd be or got to where I got to. I've always said that, I feel like if I'd have jumped from the conference or League Two straight to the Premier League, I think that could have been a too much of a jump at the time. Mm. And going up the leagues like I did, I think I just learned different things and just got better as a as a person as well as a as a footballer. Like mentally, the side of the game as well just improved so much. And the higher I got up, just from reading comments like on on uh, social boards and stuff like that, fans forums. Like I used to do that. Yeah. I think most players used to do that when I was young, and then you get to a point where you read some stuff and you're like, well, it's not helping me. Why am I reading it? Like, just try and block that out and how you go up. Just started to do that more. So, no, so getting back onto your question, really, is just, I'm, I'm out, like I said to you before, I'm open to anything. I just want to get back playing football. As long as I'm playing football week in, week out, I'm enjoying myself. It's, it's a dream job. Like, everyone would love to be playing football, kicking a football around every day as a job. And I would never, never, ever turn around and say, no, I won't go back play there. I'd go back and play for my Sunday league team next week if if I, if the club would let me go back there and play, you know. So it's not really an issue to me. I'm I'm not one of them players that would turn my nose up at an opportunity like that. Nice. So it's you, Ollie Banks, and Darren Aldacre in the Chesterfield midfield in League Two next season. <laughs> I'm coming back as a striker now. Now I've got oh, older yeah. striker. I need to put that. I need to put that mischance right. That's that's fine. That, there you go. Sorted. Coming back to striker next season. Here to here first. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time, especially because you're, uh, uh, you know, recovering from that back surgery and stuff. So I hope the recovery goes well and you're back on a pitch sometime soon. And uh, yeah, and sure. and yeah, it's great to see you fly up through those leagues. And uh, I suppose it's quite inspirational for any young footballers going out there not to not to give up and just keep plugging away and you know listen to listen to yourself. And not yeah, always what I always say to people now, like it's a game of opinions. Like you, you read stuff now. People say that Messi's not played well, or he's not good, or who's the best player out of Rooney and uh, Messi and Ronaldo and stuff like that. And the best players in the world get criticism. It's just a game of opinions. Like one manager might come in, 
say you're not for me, just the way you play and stuff. Next manager, best thing since sliced bread, you know, and it can turn around like that. So just it's all about just keeping belief in yourself, just working hard every day, not giving up and who knows where it'll take you.